Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Time for another South Sports and Stuff podcast. A look back at the 2019 Buffalo Bills season, game by game. A little review from me and added in some, well, a whole bunch of kind of commentary and thoughts surrounding the game, leading into each game, during the game, things I might have seen from the sidelines, things I remember about each game, and of course, a recap of how the game went down itself. Thanks a lot to everybody from the very first episode doing this last week, talking about the opener last week against the New York Jets, last year, I mean, against the New York Jets. Uh, lots of good feedback on that, and it seems like you're appreciating this form of doing it, so I didn't know how it would go over. Well, I guess it went over pretty well with a lot of you, so hopefully more of you will enjoy it again today. We'll do 16 of these games, of course, because the Bills played uh, 16 games. We'll actually do 17, counting the, the playoff game that they had last year at the Houston Texans. Before I get into all that, though, before I do any of that today, I want to talk about the situation going on around the country, if I can. And uh, I haven't really touched on it much on here at all, on the radio a little bit with Show Up and the Bulldog. I haven't tweeted anything about it. And part of the reason is because I'm much more of a audio person than I am a written person. You know, I'm better at speaking than I am at writing in situations like this and really, I think, situations that call for really measured, thoughtful responses. I'd rather speak than write. And then Twitter just turns into a back and forth uh, cesspool, really desensitizing what you wrote into something that it wasn't. So I wanted to make sure that I was clear. And that's why I'm going to do it here. And first of all, let me say that what happened to George Floyd in Minnesota was disgusting and heinous. It has no place in America or anywhere else in the world for people to be treated like that. And systemic racism exists in this country. There's been plenty of police brutality in this country. More often than not, it has been white police officers against black people and other minorities. But that does not obviously mean that every single police officer is bad. It doesn't even mean that every single white police officer is bad. I have friends in law enforcement, and I would say they are great people who try to do the right thing, who try to keep justice and peace in our communities and help their neighbors. But obviously that's not the case with every single police officer or member of law enforcement. And we've seen the worst of the worst lately come out. And what happened to George Floyd, as I said, was disgusting and heinous. And it's not just enough to have a police officer charged. We need all of those police officers charged and we need convictions. I mean, that's part of the issue that's happened here in this country that has caused other sorts of protests that have gone on for many years. I remember back when I was in high school, the Rodney King situation. Rodney King was beaten 
on video. Back then, the you know the old VHS p- video that someone had rolling. This is before cell phones. This is the first time we saw something like that happen on video. And it wasn't just that Rodney King was beaten. And a lot of us said, oh my God, like, wow, like I can't believe that happened. And black people told us, no, this has been happening for a long time. Someone finally got it on video. And if you're open-minded and thought and listened, then you would say, wow, like, tell me more and let me learn more. And hopefully people did, but I don't think enough people did. But either way, what happened was not just that Rodney King was beaten, but that the officers charged, they were acquitted. That was the issue that caused the LA riots. In this situation, I would say, I hope that the, there are convictions as well for those that not only for the officer, former officer, excuse me now, the ex-officer, I guess is how you would say it, uh, for him, but for those who stood around and watched it happen and did not intervene. And my heart also broke watching the video for the people, the bystanders who tried to intervene and tell the officer at the time, again, ex-officer, he's been let go from the force, hey, you're killing him. And listening to George Floyd plead for his life was heartbreaking and awful. And I understand the outrage and something needs to be done. We need a big change in this country. We need both changes in execution, meaning getting new people in charge in a lot of different ways and a change, an actual change in leadership. But we also need a change of mindset and understanding of one another and compassion and empathy and loving and understanding where our black neighbors and friends and family are coming from when they tell us about these things that have been happening to them for many, many years. And then we see these things happening. And the protesters, look, I I live on the west side of Buffalo. I was very close one night to some of the protests going on. In fact, it came right up my cross street and I'm with those protesters. I am support them wholeheartedly. Of course, no one supports violence. No one supports destruction of property. And I would not condone that. And I don't condone that. And I hope that stops. And it breaks my heart to see any city, especially my city of Buffalo, when I drive up Elmwood and see the smashed windows and things like that, that's awful. I also understand the outrage though. And we need change. And we can only change by understanding each other. And role the role that a, someone like me can play, even though I have a voice and I have a platform, it's actually kind of to shut up and listen. That's really what I need to do. I think that's what a lot of us need to do. And again, that's part of the reason why I haven't really you know, been on social media writing anything and tweeting anything because I think that too many people are quick to want to respond and point out something that you said that they don't like or agree or don't agree with and you know, start to choose sides. And then it becomes something it's not supposed to be. Uh, what it's supposed to be about is love and empathy and compassion and understanding and listening and helping and the majority standing up for the minority. Really, that's a big deal. The majority needs to stand up for the minority and help and understand and tell those in charge that what's been going on is wrong. And we're not going to stand for it anymore as people. It's not just a black and white issue, of course, but it is a black and white issue. And when I hear people say, this isn't a black and white issue, that's not really true. It is a black and white issue because our black neighbors and family and friends are the ones that are being targeted or harassed and dying. And white people who don't understand that and didn't have to live through that or grow up with that need to start to understand and maybe see what's going on. But it's also, on top of that, of course, a human rights issue. And what I did was I went to the United Nations Bill of Rights page. You know, we have a Bill of Rights in this country. The the Bill of Rights, you know, are the first 10 amendments of the Constitution. But the United Nations, and believe me, I've had my own issues with the UN over the years, 
and you know globally, but they have a human declaration of Bill of Rights, a universal declaration of human rights is what it's actually called. And I want to read a few things to you in a few articles that I think are very poignant and we all need to understand and abide by because they should go for every single person in the world. But I think especially they are things that we need to understand right now here in this country. Article one, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Article two, everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction of any kind, such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political, or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth, or other status. Article three, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Artic- I'm going to skip a couple of these that because they're more about different countries and sovereignty and things like that. Article five, I think, is directly poignant to what's going on right now. It reads, no one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. That's exactly what I think we see going on right now. Article six, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Article seven, all are equal before the law and are entitled without any discrimination to equal protection of the law. All are entitled to equal protection against any discrimination in violation of this declaration and against any incitement to such discrimination. So those are just some of the first seven articles of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And again, say what you will about the UN, I think that they have their own issues and over the years, you know, we can agree or disagree about a lot of things with them, but at the same time, um, I think this is something, these rights that I thought about while watching the things that are going on on television. And it's, we're in a bad place right now, but we can all get to a better place if we help each other learn and understand, but that has to start with people listening. It has to start with people wanting to and willing to listen to especially what our black community has to say about what's been going on and then enacting change from there. So that's what I need to say about it. And, you know, I'm here to listen. If anybody wants to contact me through Twitter or something like that, email, you can go to the WGR page. You can email me. In fact, my email is actually sal at WGR550.com. You can do that as well. I'm on Twitter at Sal Sports. Uh, If you want to contact me that way, go ahead because I am here to listen. So thank you for letting me talk about that for just a little while, but more importantly, I'm here to listen, like I said. All right, let's get into last year, week number two, Bills at Giants. The Bills had just come off the win at the Jets at the same stadium, MetLife in New Jersey. They're 1-0, feeling good, and then they go into the week two knowing, hey, they got a Giants team that really isn't that good, isn't expected to be that good, and a really excellent opportunity to go 2-0 and on the new season. I remember thinking that, like, ooh, that was a big one against the Jets, and if they can get this one against the Giants, then come home against the Bengals in Week 3, this team could be sitting at 3-0 and if they do things right here. I think that this second one here, coming off a road win, you're going back on the road, you haven't had your home opener, there's always that chance of, you know, I'm not going to say a trap game or an overlook, but you, know, you just let your guard down just a little bit, and things could wind up not in your favor. But that's not what happened with the Buffalo Bills. I want to 
First, though, go back to leading up to that game. Do you remember what the big story was leading up to that game? It wasn't necessarily Bills Giants and the Bills going in there to try and get to 2-0. Uh, well, there were a couple of things. Number one, with the Giants on their side, it was actually both quarterback related. They had not gone to Daniel Jones yet. And there was a lot of talk about whether or not they should bench Eli and go to Daniel Jones. And Pat Shermer, their head coach, had not made that decision yet. He had not changed yet. He did later on, and obviously was better for the Giants, I think, in the long run, you know, that they played Daniel Jones and they saw that he could be, you know, pretty good. He had a pretty nice season once he was inserted. But at this point, there was just a lot of talk about what they should do with the quarterback situation. And Eli was still starting. So that was number one. But on the Bills side, if you remember the year before, uh, Pat Shermer had a quote about Josh Allen. He was asked basically about them drafting him. And remember, Allen was drafted in 2018, and the Giants did not draft a quarterback that year. They drafted Saquon Barkley. But Pat Shermer, their head coach, that was his first year as head coach with the Giants, he was asked about Josh Allen, and at that time he had said he had a chance to be a starter. Quote, a chance to be a starter, end quote. That's not really high praise. It's kind of a weird backhanded compliment, maybe even an insult in some way, right? So Kim Jones, the reporter for NFL Network, she tweeted the week leading up to this Bills-Giants game in last year that she revisited and asked him again about Josh Allen, and he said the same thing, or he said he stands by it or whatever, but it was basically, yes, um, I'll read you her, her tweet, actually. This is from last year. Uh, Kim Jones tw- tweeted, Pat Shermer said before 2018 draft, Giants thought QB Josh Allen had a chance to be a starter in the NFL. Seems like a pretty low bar. So I followed up. Shermer repeated the line. So there it is. He repeated the line again. Well, this quote starts circling around and becomes a bit of fodder. And really what happened was that quote via Kim Jones tweet was posted on some video boards around the facility at One Bills Drive in the Ad Pro, you know, sports training facility where the Bills have practice and inside the locker room. And it was Clearly there, it seemed like to motivate the Bills and teammates of Josh Allen to say, yeah, that's what they think about Josh Allen over there, Pat Shermer. And it was reported that this particular quote was hanging up, but Sean McDermott didn't want to talk about that with the media. He said it was for internal messaging, basically. So there was definitely something going on where the Bills wanted their team, their players, Josh Allen, the guys who protect him, whoever, to be aware of what Pat Shermer said about Josh Allen. And I could tell you this, Sean McDermott will use whatever he can to his advantage for motivation for his team. And he covers everything. He is, we all know this already. He's extremely detail oriented. He thinks of everything. I mean, we'll get into the Pittsburgh game a lot later on this podcast series, but remember how they were playing the Renegade song literally at practice to get his team ready for when they would hear the Renegade song on that Sunday night football game. So Clearly, he was using this particular quote by Pat Shermer against Josh Allen and saying how you know he had a chance to be a starter as, hey, that's an insult to our quarterback. Let's go out there and show him how good our quarterback is. Um, I think that was clear to everyone. He called it internal messaging. So that was a story leading up to the game. And then we get to the game and there's some pictures of Josh actually talking with Pat Shermer on the field before the game. And I wonder what those conversations <laughs> entailed, basically. Um, I think... Shermer was even aware of the Bills doing it, and then it became even him having to kind of back his way out of it a little bit. But you also understand from his perspective, I will say, if you're Pat Shermer and 
you say, yeah, we think Josh Allen w- was is going to be amazing in a franchise quarterback, the next question from the reporters would be, well, then why didn't you draft him over Saquon Barkley? So it became a bit of a weird situation maybe for him to answer it. So in a, I, I can understand why he answered it the way he did, but certainly by saying what he did became fodder and material for the Bills to use going into this week two game against the Giants. Well, you get to the game and... Boy, I'll tell you, the Giants just drove the ball down the Bills' throat right away. They take the opening drive, and I'm going to read you the play-by-play, if you don't remember, of the opening drive of this game. The Giants get the ball first. They have the ball at their own 25. First play, run by Saquon, six yards. Next play, a pass, I'm sorry, a run, an end around for 20 yards to Benny Fowler. Next play, Barkley then goes 14 yards. First three plays, six yards, 20 yards, 14 yards. And then Barkley out of shotgun goes another eight yards. So now they go from the 25 to the Bills 35 in a manner of four plays. They're at the 27-yard line and boom, Saquon Barkley runs for a touchdown. Five plays into the game like that. It was literally two minutes and 15 seconds in and the Giants are up 7-0 already on the Bills. The Bills got punched in the mouth. They they literally got punched in the mouth on the very first drive. Now, remember last week we were talking about on the podcast how I said one of the things that really struck me about the Jets game was how the Bills kind of stayed calm through it all, right? There was just these ups and downs and there were turnovers and in the fourth quarter, there was like nothing. Yeah, they, they were just acting the same way on the sidelines as they were in the first quarter, which is they were just cool and calm and collected and they were really not letting anything impact in, affect them to get too high or get too low. Well, I will tell you, this was a little bit different. Not completely different, but a little bit different. I could see on the Bills' sideline, they were they were kind of shocked, like, wow, they just really came at us and scored, and we got to turn this around. They were mad. I would say that was the feeling I got. They were mad that that happened to them, which was good, obviously. And Leslie Frazier gathered him around. I could tell he was pissed, and the team was pissed. He wasn't pissed at anybody specifically, but hey, you know, come on, we got to do our job better type of being pissed. And, you know, Right after that, the Bills really kind of changed things on defense. But when they got together on the sidelines after that first drive, I will tell you, in the first two weeks, that was the only time that I felt, you know, the Bills, they were a little bit, I guess, rattled in a way, but not rattled so much like, oh my God, what do we do? Rattled like, hey, I can't believe that just happened to us. You know, we need to get our act together. And they did, and they came back out, and from the rest of the game, Saquon really didn't do much. He had a couple plays here or there, but the Bills basically shut him down. The Bills get the ball, and they go three and out. The Giants go three and out, but then the Bills started to take over. And really, after uh, about maybe midway, not even midway through the first quarter, the Bills really just started dominating this game. They took this game over, and they did it in a few different ways. But mainly, it was Josh Allen. Josh Allen in this game, in the first half, just like he did in the Jets game, was incredible. Going back and re-watching Josh Allen's first half against the Giants, he was on fire. And then I thought about the first half against the Jets. I put those two halves together, statistically. And I'm sure I wrote about this somewhere. I'm sure a lot of people did at the time. But let's go back and think about this. The first two games, the first half of each game, so that's four quarters total, first and second quarter of the Jets game, first and second quarter of the Giants game. Here's Josh Allen's numbers. 30 of 43 for 351 yards. 30 of 43 for 351 yards. Just in the first halves put together of those two games. He was awesome, on fire. 
And the Bills really just dominated because of that. Now, as the game flowed and the game went on, we also saw Devin Singletary start to go off again. Uh, Josh ran for another touchdown, just like he did against the Jets. Uh, the Bills, uh, they were tied 7-7. They go back. Now they go up 14-7 after Devin Singletary has a 14-yard touchdown run. Devin Singletary went off again. He just, he really showed his elusiveness through the first two weeks where we kind of went, okay, like we can see this guy and what he's able to do. And watching him from ground level, I will tell you, it is fun. Devin Singletary is fun to watch from ground level. Remember when at the draft, when after he was drafted, Brandon Bean said he had the most fun. It was the most fun film he watched. I can understand why he, these first two games, and now you know already, but these two first two games made me go, wow, like that guy, like he can do some things. He can stop on a dime and leave nine cents change as uh, a former high school coach of mine used to say all the time. But at at this point, it's 14 to seven after his touchdown and the bills are still, they're just in complete control. They get down and score again. Thanks to an Isaiah McKenzie um, I, I, you know, is it was one of those flip passes? So it went down as a pass from Josh Allen. It was, it was a end around basically, but it was in front of him, flipped in front of him. Went as a pass, Isaiah McKenzie winds up scoring. The, I guess, worrying part of the game started to happen late in the first half. The Bills are up at this time. Let me go get the score here. I think they were up fourteen to seven, right? Uh, fourteen. I'm sorry, twenty-one to seven. Twenty-one to seven here. The Giants get the ball with seven minutes and 32 seconds left. And they started to move it. Uh, They get a first down. They get another first down. They start to get closer to Bill's territory. Finally, they do get it to the Bill's um, 29-yard line. Looking at the play-by-play here, I want to bring up a specific play. That's why I'm kind of stumbling through this. They get it to the 29-yard line. It's a third down and nine. It's the two-minute warning. Eli Manning throws a pass to Benny Fowler at the Bills' 10-yard line. Fowler catches the pass, but Micah Hyde comes over and drills him, and the ball comes loose in a completely legal, great, fundamental play by Micah Hyde. And I would say from that moment, it really made the Giants. Well, first of all, it caused the Giants to go for a field goal they wound up missing. So the score remains 21 to seven. Now, two things about this. A lot of times when a situation like that happens, we call it a four point swing because instead of a team getting a field, a a touchdown at one end with the extra point, they get a field goal. This was a seven point swing because they didn't get anything, the giants. But the other thing is, boy, as much as we've kind of taken a lot of the big hits out of football and we understand why there are very few things that get a sideline going and get teammates going than a really big hit, especially, of course, a legal one, which this was by Micah Hyde. And you could feel the energy. And even though the Bills were already up by two scores, like that hit that Micah Hyde had, I could feel it on the sidelines. You could hear guys, oh, it was a great hit. Benny Fowler dropped the ball. It it caused the Giants to have to go for a field goal. They missed that field goal. And you could just sense and, you know, people and how really energetic they were on the Bills sideline after that particular play. And it all started because of that hit from Micah Hyde, but it kept rolling in. Now the Bills get the ball. They start to move it. They get a penalty. They have to punt. There's still time left on the clock. The Giants now get a huge long return on the punt all the way down. It's a 60 yard return. They get all the way down to the Bills 33 yard line. There's a minute and 15 still left. 
The Giants have the ball at the Bills 33. They just missed the touchdown opportunity. They just missed the field goal, but they're back in scoring position here before the two-minute warning. This was not a good sequence for the Bills to possibly be in a situation where they could have been giving up multiple scoring drives. But Eli Manning has a ball batted by Ed Oliver, gets deflected, and because Trent Murphy is just running to the football, he winds up intercepting it. And that's how the half ends. So all of this craziness that wound up happening goes in the Bills' favor because of A, a big hit by Micah Hyde, B, the missed field goal by the Giants, and then C, because Ed Oliver bats the ball and Trent Murphy is rallying to it and he happens to be in the right place at the right time. I went back and looked at my notes. That was the, the Bills had over two weeks, I should say, 10 batted balls. The Bills' defense was batting balls down like crazy early in the season last year. They had 10 batted balls through the first two weeks. So that was why I think this game wound up playing out the way it was. It was really the key moment was the end of the first half with, you know, the entire sequence that I just went over. So we get to the second half, and now Josh doesn't have to throw the ball that much. But the thing about the second half that I remember a lot was the Giants really stepped up their pass rush, their pressure. Cody Ford didn't play that well. Uh, Josh was under duress. Uh, the Bills didn't have to do much on offense. They kind of kept it close to the vest, but they also just didn't move the ball very well on offense. As much as Josh was really good that first half as he was in the game against the Jets, the Bills' offense was not that good in the second half. And look, I, I don't think that they were necessarily just trying to get out of there and like, oh, we're going to win. But I think when you're in a situation where you know, you have, you're so pumped up for the start of the season, and you have two road games, and you have this emotional win on the road one week, and you go back to the same stadium against your, I guess you'll call them in-state rivals, whatever, you know, in the second week, and all that's swirling around that, and you're getting towards the end of the game, and you're winning by pretty much a comfortable margin, two touchdowns. I do think there may be a tendency in any human being to maybe just lay off the gas a little bit mentally, and you can't do that, because that's what I thought was happening a little bit with the Bills, and you could kind of sense it. It was a little bit of a lull, if you will, you know, not that they weren't, you know, doing what they were supposed to be doing, uh, you know, coaching right or playing right. But I think mentally, maybe a little bit of a lull. There wasn't as much energy maybe through that third quarter. Hey, you know, they have this game in hand. The crowd is a bit quiet. You're at the Giants. You have Bills fans that are now starting to be a little bit more boisterous. And sure enough, the Giants wound up taking advantage of it. The Giants started playing better. They started moving the ball on the Bills. And ultimately, they wind up scoring a touchdown. And it was at the beginning of the fourth quarter, though. It wasn't in the third quarter. The Bills were already up 21-7. to They get the touchdown. The Giants do. Uh, Jones catches the touchdown pass back of the end zone from Eli Manning. Suddenly, it's 21-14. to There's 12 minutes left, and you're like, boy, if the Bills don't start to play a little bit better here, like they could be in a little bit of trouble. You cannot let this team get another scoring opportunity. But that's when, right there, again, I'll go back to, this team just seems like, and it seemed all year, they don't let things get to them. They go right back on the field after that scoring drive by the Giants. And what do they do? They go down the field and they score themselves. And they get the ball at their own 25-yard line. They go 13 plays. They go 84 yards. They take six minutes off the clock. And they basically seal the game with another touchdown. And, and really, that's who this team was a lot, which is, no matter what the situation or circumstance, it wasn't like they panicked. They could have panicked in that situation, but they didn't. They get the ball, they go down the field, they score, they pretty much wrap up the game. They're up by two scores again, and I believe it was the next week maybe that Eli Manning actually was benched and Daniel Jones went in for him. I do want to go back to the one drive I, I talked about earlier that I 
failed to mention this. And that is, I went back and, and remembered, so I did some research on this too. The Bills on their second, their third touchdown, I'm sorry, their third touchdown of the game, they get the ball at their own two-yard line in the second quarter. And they go seven plays, they score a touchdown. It was a 98-yard drive. But in actuality, because of a holding penalty during the drive, it moved them back 10 yards. They covered 108 total yards because they had to gain that 10 yards back after they had already had it. And that's a really big drive, obviously. So I went back, I went to profootballreference.com, and I looked at all of last year's longest drives in the NFL. The Bills were the only team to have two 98-plus-yard net yard drives. And net yard meaning that it's just like what it goes down as you can only have a 99-yard drive as the most. The Bills had two of those last year, 98 yards or more. One was against the Miami Dolphins. But that Dolphins drive and this Giants drive, both had a penalty. Both wound up actually covering 108 yards. And out of the three longest drives in the entire NFL last year, counting penalty yards made up, Number one was 116 yards the Chiefs had against the Houston Texans. And then the Bills had two 108-yard drives. This one against the Giants, and then another one later against the Miami Dolphins. And in both of them, they handed off to Patrick DeMarco on the very first play from their own two-yard line. But I wanted to get that in because I did notice that and do some research on the longest drives last year. And the Bills were great at driving 80 yards or more last year. Remember there was a midway through the year, maybe it was even uh, at least the first several games. They had more 80 plus yard drives for scores or touchdowns than any team in the league. I can't remember the exact stat, but it was, it was something um, which is kind of contradictory to what we thought about this team and what they would be, which is big strike, Josh Allen, big arm. They weren't that team last year. They were really the team that moved and grinded the ball down the field. They did not have the big strike. That was the thing they were lacking last year. That's what they need to get this year. And if they can couple that, I can't expect them. We can't expect them to have the same kind of uh, success on those long drives they did early in the year last year. And I'm sure that, you know, that statistically went down as the year went on anyway. But if they can come even close to that and add in that big play, you know, two play drive, big long pass by Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs or John Brown, uh, that would be great for this year. So the Bills leave this game. They leave MetLife Stadium after winning twice against the Giants and the Jets, and a little bit of background information on how um, the stadium is, basically. So you get all the green, obviously, for the Jets. You get all the blue for the Giants. They change over the end zones, things like that. But also in the press box, when you go up there for Jets games, they have pictures of old Jets hanging up there. You know, there's Joe Namath and uh, Joe Klecko, Mark Gastineau, uh, Richard Todd, quarterback. Is he a great Jet? I don't know. He's a quarterback when I was growing up, but those guys are all hanging up. And you could tell on the other side of the picture, all it takes is them to do some unscrewing of the picture of the frame and they'd flip it over and there's the Giants players and there's Phil Simms and there's Joe Morris and there's Lawrence Taylor. And it's kind of interesting to see how that dynamic works. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I could tell necessarily like, oh, I was in this exact same stadium last week because the colors are different. Yeah, the, the the stadium is the same. And when you pull into the stadium, you're in the tunnel, you could tell you're in the same spot. When you walk out, it does look different because it's from green to blue. It looks totally different. Um, but it really, it was a great two weeks for the Bills last year to start the way they did in New York City or in New Jersey, I should say. I went to New York City both the two weekends we were there. And it was great for the Bills to start off that way and then be able to come home. And of course, 
Week number three, the Cincinnati Bengals. They have them at home. The Bengals are 0-2, a great chance to go 3-0 for the Bills. And that's what the next podcast is going to be about, is the Bills taking on the Cincinnati Bengals in week number three. Uh, Before I end this podcast, though, I invite you to go to WGR550.com. You can read all about how Josh Allen is uh, throwing the ball to Stephon Diggs and plenty of other skill position players down in South Florida. That's where the players are having a players-only practice, basically, organized by Josh from what... The photographer down there, Joe Kroom, said uh, that he, Josh, is the one that's pretty much, as far as his understanding, put it together. But it looks like Davis Webb, the quarterback, is kind of directing traffic, if you will, and setting things up. And the practices are strict, and they're not just throwing the ball. They're actually having practices, and they're doing you know, the things in an orderly fashion in which you normally would in a practice type of setting. But there's video there via Joe's Twitter feed on my article at WGR550.com, and that's good to see. We don't know when teams are going to return. We don't know what the season is going to look like, but if we hear anything, of course, we'll keep you updated here on the podcast as well as WGR online, WGR550.com, radio.com app, and, of course, at my Twitter feed at Cell Sports. By the way, lots of ways that you can get this podcast. I hope you're listening. You know, However you're listening, I should say, I hope you're subscribed, and if not, hit the subscribe button. It's on iTunes. That's the quickest and best way probably other than the WGR website, WGR550.com. Just just search Sal Sports and Stuff Podcast is all you got to do. Also on Stitcher and plenty of other uh, podcast podcast places. Leave a review if you can. I'd love if you did it. Give me five stars. That'd be awesome. Uh, Google Play, I know you can find it there as well. So thanks a lot for coming aboard here on this podcast. Thanks a lot for allowing me the opportunity to speak to you about what's going on in the country in the beginning of it. And look forward to talking again on the next Sal Sports and Stuff podcast when we talk about game number three against the Cincinnati Bengals last year. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.